You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast. Making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. compels us to obey him. It compels us to obey him. That's the title of the message this morning. And Just one short little verse of scripture, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, that where sin abounded, Grace did much more abound. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Amen. Even in this present day. Amen. Not just past tense, but in this present day. Let's pray. Lord, we we trust your Holy Spirit to impart your word into our hearts and into our lives today. We pray that the anointing of God is just going to flow in this place today from this preacher's lips and from my heart and to the hearts and the ears of your people who are sitting here to receive it in Jesus' name. May we all open up our hearts to hear from you this morning in Jesus' mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. In this chapter... The Apostle Paul rehearses in the minds of the Roman Christians as he's writing this letter how the law caused us to know our exceeding sinfulness. Our exceeding sinfulness. And I I would dare say that if uh, some people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I really wasn't too bad of a sinner. I I would almost question that person's understanding what salvation even is. Because without him, we're nothing. And the Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So when you hear someone give a testimony and they have this long litany of things that they've been through and they've done this, they've done that, they've stolen, they've killed, they've murdered, they've been in prison, this other person says, well, I've never done all those things. I've always went to church. I've been a good person and I've helped my neighbor. The one is trusting in their own good works and the other one knows and realizes his emptiness. Amen. And so we all, to really enjoy and appreciate the salvation of God, we all have to come to that place of acknowledging and confessing our emptiness. And so that's what Paul says when he mentions, when he uses that phrase, our uh, exceeding sinfulness. Amen. I would dare to say that uh, this was the experience of every one of us who know Christ today. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that that, that is the same uh, in your life. That until we were confronted with the seriousness of our offenses toward God, 
we went merrily along our way and just sinning our way uh, from day to day, doing what we did, never giving a care or a thought to a holy God. You know, we just sung this song, this last song, holy, holy, holy. And we never thought like that. We never thought about him as being holy. And so we would just go along our way and we would just sin from day, day to day, not regarding God at all, not caring that we might be offending our creator in the way that we conduct ourselves in the world as if we were going to live forever and never have to give an account for our sins. And it was by his commandment and it was by his word that our sins might become exceeding sinful. Now, you might not have had somebody preach to you the Ten Commandments or preach Genesis to Revelations to you before you actually became a Christian. But somewhere, somehow, if you are a Christian, the law of God uh, was confronting you somewhere along the line. And you had to confess that you were wrong. You had to confess that you had sinned against him. You had to confess somehow, some way, that you had broken God's law. Amen. Look at uh, what God said through his prophet Isaiah when his people went astray, uh, living lives of wickedness and sins. And let's compare those words with our present generation in this time that we're living in right now. Everyone say right now. These words are applicable to what's going on in this world right now. Amen. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 8. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. Listen, church. God could have fixed their situation in a heartbeat. In Isaiah's time, he could have fixed their situation in a heartbeat, and he can do the same for us today. Boom, just like that. And it's not that he can't do it. That's what Isaiah is saying here. God's arm is not short that he cannot save. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. It's not that he can't do it. It's not that he doesn't want to do it or is not willing to do it. The Bible tells us that it's not God's will for anyone to perish in eternal flames. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Jesus spoke of that very clearly. The prophets, the Old Testament speaks of it. The New Testament speaks of it. There is an eternal heaven whereby people can dwell with God forever and ever with bliss and harmony and, and beauty and wonder and majesty. We, we, it's never even entered our minds yet what we're going to experience on that, on that day. But there, on the flip side of that, there is also an eternal hell that people who refuse the wonderful gift of salvation will have to face. Amen. So it's not that it's God's will for anyone to perish at all. So it is not God's inability to change our situation. It wasn't his inability to change their situation as Isaiah was speaking these words. It's not God's inability to change our situations. Then in verse 2, he begins to reveal to them where the real problem was. And once again, this is applicable to our generation, to right now. Verse 2. He says, but your iniquities, it's not, it's not that my arm's too short, it's not that my ear's too heavy, but your iniquities, your moral 
perversities. Your iniquities, that's what that means. Your moral perverseness have separated between you and your God and your sins, your habitual sinfulness have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It's not that he cannot hear. It's that he will not hear because of your sinfulness, he's saying to the people. I wonder how many people cry out to God to make things better for them today. Come on, you know this. You've probably done it yourself before you even became a Christian. Crying out to God, oh God, help me, make things better. I know that in Vietnam, boy, you hear people cry out to God all the time, make promises to him and everything else. The next day they forget the promise and just go on and live their life like they never even said those words. But how many people are crying out to God today to make things better for them? Uh, to bring peace into their situation. Uh, Oh God, my marriage is in a mess. Please fix my marriage. Oh Lord, my family is falling apart. Help change our situation. They don't like where their sins have taken them. I didn't like where my sin took me. I didn't like that place that I was in, but I didn't know that there was another place that God had for me. Amen. Amen. So they don't like the place where where their sins have taken them. Someone said it best this way, that your sins will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That speaks speaks volumes of what sin is really all about. Amen? So this is what it is with a lot of people. Most people who are caught up in this quagmire of their sins, they don't like it. You know, I've read some books on, uh, on homosexuality lately because I'm trying to understand this knowing that I as a minister and you as a Christian are going to be dealing with this today. And you need to know how to, how, to, how to minister to people that are getting swallowed up in this thing. And so I've read about it. And uh, many, many of the people who are in that are caught in this thing. They're trapped in this thing. They fell to a temptation. They, they became inquisitive. They tried something because someone told them to try it. Have, how many of you have ever smoked cigarettes? Come on, raise them up high. The first time you ever puffed on one of those things, how did it all come about? Wasn't it your older cousin? Wasn't it your next door neighbor? Wasn't it somebody else who snuck a cigarette out of their mother's purse? You guys went behind the garage, took a puff and said, here, try this. And you said, yeah, okay, I'll try it. You coughed your brains out for the first couple of times you did it, but then you realize that this is all part of being cool. So to be cool, you just sucked at it again, you coughed 10 or 12 times more, and pretty soon it got easier for you to do. And it wasn't long before you needed to get a pack of those things each and every day. And then two packs a day. And some of you probably smoke three packs a day. I smoke two packs of cigarettes and a pack of joints a day. (laughs) Yeah, it it becomes easy. You know what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, folks, people are getting sucked into this other trap that I just mentioned here a moment ago the same way. The same way. That's why I get get fighting mad when I see what's going on in, 
in the libraries, uh, drag queens reading to the children, uh, five and six-year-old in, in libraries in, in elementary schools in our public school. Oh, man, that makes me mad. I don't, hate, I don't hate transgenders. I don't hate homosexuals. But I hate what they're infiltrating into the minds of our little kids. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Amen. Somebody ought to praise the Lord. Amen. We, we're going to stand against that stuff. Hey, and our, our, our uh, president just signed a, signed a thing just lately. God bless him. I'll tell you, everybody else wants to put this guy down. And, uh, uh, but but he's, he, is, he's, he has turned around the Johnson Amendment that has kept Christian people from speaking what I just said right now. Amen. And hallelujah. Amen. God bless him. Amen. Pray for your president. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Amen. Pray for him. Amen. But most people don't like it, and, 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 and when, when I've been reading up on this, that's what I found, that a lot of people find that they're struggling with this thing. They don't like, they don't like it. Now, they'll come out, and, and uh, they'll, they'll push that down, and they'll say, no, this is the way that God made me to be, and, you know, they'll have all of their arguments, but most of them, when they've come away from that, they, they are honest enough to say, you know what, I, I hated every minute of it. I hated every minute of that, but I couldn't find a way out. And that's where you and I come in to help them to find a way out. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, they, they don't want to admit and confess their sins to him and to turn from them. This is the people that Isaiah was talking to. Uh, and again, this is the people of our day as well. Uh, they don't want to admit their sins. They don't want to confess their sins to him. They don't want to turn from them, uh, that they might be healed and receive those times of refreshing that most certainly would come from the Lord if they would just yield to him. Amen? Those of us who are here who are Christians this morning, we found that out. Amen? And whatever lifestyle we were living in, wherever we came from, uh, it was the acknowledgement of our sins and the turning away from those that brought this sweet refreshing of the Holy Spirit into our lives today. And it's an awesome thing. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. And you want everybody else to know it. Amen. Verse 3, he says, For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, none, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Drop down to the seventh verse. It says that their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Hallelujah. There are people who call good evil and good evil. Uh, call evil good and... <laughs> You know what I'm just what I'm just saying. They call good evil and they call evil good. They're twisting it around. The things that should be called evil, they're they're for it. They're promoting it. Amen. And then the and then all of these things that it spoke of here of lies, just lies and deceitfulness, and nobody speaking the truth, and and nobody even looking uh, for for justice or for that which is right. Amen. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of Candace Owens? Have you ever heard of her? She's a black conservative gal, and she's leading a movement. And she's, she spoke before Congress because people have come against her. And she spoke before Congress. I, I highly recommend you go on to YouTube 
you look up Candace Owens holds her ground before the Congress. And there's a, about a five-minute clip and there's a 16-minute clip. Get the 16-minute clip on YouTube and watch that whole thing. She put those people in their place. She spoke from her heart. Man, I mean, I was almost jumping out of my seat in my office at home just cheering her on. She's speaking the truth, things that need to be said. And she's leading a great movement, and they're coming against her. And she stood there, and she, she flat out she flat outright called congressmen right in that room liars. She didn't hold back. She didn't look the least bit nervous when she was being grilled. Cold girl, yes. <laughs> yeah, we need people like that, amen. Uh, but look, pr please, look that up. You'll, you'll really appreciate it. You'll really enjoy it. Uh, but there are people that call good evil and they call evil good. Proverbs 17, verse 15 says, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. You know what that means? It means that it makes the Lord sick. It's despicable. It, you know, he, he just, he's angered at that. People who will justify wickedness. Wickedness can prevail and they justify it. But then they turn around and condemn those who are just or righteous. And the word says that God hates both of those kinds of people. Amen. Proverbs 16, verses 16 through 19, we find there that there are seven things that God hates. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. You know, there's a whole lot of uh, history of bloodshed throughout the, throughout the whole earth and our country as well. We've been involved in wars and, uh, you know, and uh, we talk about Hiroshima and Nagasaki and all of these other things where innocent people died and not one innocent people person should ever die. We're, we're not for that. Amen. Uh, but uh, people are so caught up in, in, in talking about history and it wasn't a sad thing this and sad thing that. 60 million children now in our day not history, you know not, not historical now in our day 60 million children have been thrown in dumpsters. And where's the voice of the people that are they're upset about that? Where are the people that will say, hey, this in our day needs to change? Not just back then, oh, it's a shame that what happened back then. No, it's a shame of what's happening right now. Hands that shed innocent blood, how much more innocent can the blood of a baby be? And it's not just the hands that shed the blood, but it's the vote of those of us who put those people in office who said that they will do that exactly. We need to repent. This, this nation needs to repent. Lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. There is so much discord and so much division going on right now, and God hates all of it. Continuing on in verse 7, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. 
whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if this passage spoke of the conditions of Isaiah's time, how much more in our day? How much more can these things be said in our day and where we are today? And if you or I dare to speak out about what is going on in this great country of ours or in this world, we're labeled as bigots, racists, homophobes, Islamophobes, and xenophobes. Amen. Phoba, 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 phoba. Or we're classified as haters when that is the furthest thing from the truth. Amen. When, please look that YouTube thing up. When that, when that young lady was speaking, she was speaking the truth. She was not speaking hatred. Instead, we stand with the Apostle Paul and what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. And I'm going to read this passage from the NIV. It's a little bit easier for us to, to grasp it. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. That's the title of the message today. God's love compels us to what? To obey him. To obey him. Amen. So for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died, Jesus, for all, and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. The old is gone and the new has come. God has made your spirit new. He has taken away your sins. He's taken away your guilt. He's taken away your shame. When you turn your life over to Christ, he blots out your iniquity. He makes you a new person. Hallelujah. You don't have anything to be ashamed of anymore. You don't have, to have anything to hang your head down about anymore. But God lifts you up, elevates you, and puts you in another place all together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your past is gone. It's behind you. It's done. And you are a new creation in Christ. Amen. And so that's the message that we have to give to people. And so when we stand up and we disagree with some of the stuff that's going on, they say it's hate. We say, no, it's love. It's love for your soul. It's love for, for, for the fact that we're trying to get you off of this uh, highway to hell. Amen. We care about you. We care enough to speak up. To say that these things are wrong and these things are an offense to a holy God. God wants to pick you up, lift you up, and give you a better way. Amen. Christians are people whose spirit has been renewed. Old has passed away and new has come. Hallelujah. Whereas we used to look at the world with a worldly view. That's what Paul was saying there. We used to look at this world with a worldly view. We now see things according to God's spirit that lives in us. Amen. 
We never used to be bothered by certain sins, but now we see those things, we're bothered by them. Why? Because God's spirit lives inside of us, and we're seeing things according to the way he sees things in his word. We even viewed the Lord Jesus Christ according to our fleshly understanding of him. I'm talking about before we knew him, before his spirit was in us. Even when we thought about Jesus, we didn't think about him in the way that we ought to think about him. We thought about him uh, from a worldly standpoint and from a worldly point of view. I was thinking as I was preparing this message today of that uh, old hit song in 1972 by the Doobie Brothers. Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right, oh yeah. Jesus is just all right with me. And then and it goes on and says, I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. I don't care what they say. Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. Now, I, that wasn't a bad song, really, considering that it was a, a worldly rock and roll group that was singing it. Somebody in that band must have had some kind of uh, history, up, uh, a Christian upbringing or something. I mean, why in the world would a, would a, would a rock, and this is not a Christian rock band, this is just a rock band in the 70s singing all that other kind of crazy secular stuff. But whatever compelled them to get and write down words and say, Jesus is just all right with me. But it was still with a worldly point of view. It really was still, even looking at Jesus, it was with a worldly point of view because we have found out that Jesus isn't just all right. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's the great I am. Hallelujah. He is your salvation. He's my salvation. The only begotten son of God. That's who Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world who died and gave his life a ransom for us all. The sacrificial death of Christ on the cross is the exhibit of God's love for a lost and dying world. When people look to that cross, when people see what's going on there, they may not understand it if they're looking at it from a worldly point of view. But boy, when the lights go on and when you begin to understand that what he did there, he did for you. What he did there, he did for me. And it is an exhibit to all of the world of the love of God. Woo! Hallelujah! The love of God. So Paul said, this is the love that constrains me. This is the love that compels me. It draws me. The expression of his love for me demonstrated on that cross was and is and ever shall be the thing that motivates my heart. Ooh, hallelujah. Just the thought of it drives me, Paul said. It pressures me. Oh, people say, I don't, I don't need any pressure. Yeah, I need, I need pressure from God to do the right thing. And his love compels me to do the right thing. His love draws me to speak the right things. His love calls me to go to the right places and do things for him. Amen. He has stamped my life. 
He has put an imprint upon my spirit that I cannot resist, even if I wanted to. I just can't resist it. This love of God stirs me up to know him more fully and to make him known to this world. And for that, you'll be called a hater. This should be our motivation as well, just as much as it was Paul's. All of our service, all of our obedience to his word, all of our servants to other people, service to other people in his name. The motivation for all ministry that we do in Christ's name ought to be his great love for us. That's what motivates us. That's why when we wrestle with things after we become a Christian and there are some things that we struggle with laying aside, uh, we, we, just, uh, we, we just need more of his uh, revelation in our heart to be, begin to see that when he tells you to put something aside, it's for your betterment. It's for your good. It's to bring you closer to what it is that he desires for you to do. And it's his love that should motivate us to say, yep, it's a little bit of a struggle right here, but I know that I can do this for Christ's sake. I know that I will do this for Christ's sake. Amen. Because he loves me so much. He loves you so much that we are compelled to love those whom he loves. That's it. Do you think that there are any of these people that I just mentioned a little bit ago that God does not love? No, not even one of them. He loves every last one of them. Every last one of them. And because he loves me so much, I'm compelled to love those whom he loves because he has forgiven me of so much. I'm compelled. I am compelled to forgive those who hurt me. Sometimes people don't understand that. I've had Christian people ask me, Pastor Mike, how in the world can you do that? Well, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I believe what I preach. And I practice it. I remember years ago, uh, something happened in the church and one of my board members who was a very gentle man I would never even have expected a, such a, uh, an expression to come from him he said Pastor Mike he said you need to go right over to their house and get on their porch and give them what for because they were wrong <laughs> I said brother don't worry about that God's got that all he just looked at me like I was a nut really? And this, is, this was a gentle-spirited Christian man. Either we believe this word or we don't. And I believe that God, you know, maybe, maybe it's the fact that God has forgiven me of so much junk in my life that I don't find it pleasurable to hold things in my heart against someone else. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Because he's forgiven us of so much, we ought to be compelled by that same love to forgive other people quickly, quickly. Don't let that stuff stick to you. 
In this world where sin abounds, God's grace abounds much more. Yes, this world that we're living in right now is becoming darker by the hour. But there is an abundance of the grace of God being poured out right now in the earth. I believe that. You say, well, I don't see it. I I don't have to see it. God was at work in my heart, and I couldn't see it then. (laughs) I couldn't see what he was doing. And so we can't see what God might be doing in the earth today. But trust me, folks, God is at work in the earth today, and he's pouring out his grace on the earth. And church, he is pouring it out through people who are compelled to share his love with those who are lost. That's one of, the, one of the great ways that God does exactly that, that his grace would abound in the lives of those people who do not know him. Let me just wrap this thing up this morning and by asking you a few questions. Are you ready? Are you being compelled to share your faith with other people? I'm talking about compelled. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say yes or no or anything like that. But just think about that question. Am I being compelled? What what did Paul say? Compelled, constrained, drawn toward, pressured to share my faith with other people? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above everything else in your life? Or are you just looking for a nice little cushy life to where you grow older and you retire and you get, have your house paid off and everything's cool and you just kind of wait till the Lord comes to take you home? Or are you honestly from your heart saying, I'm seeking the kingdom of God first and foremost in my life. I want what he wants. Not just but for my family and not just for me and us four and no more but for the whole world as well amen are you asking God to help you and this is one where we really need help folks are you asking God to help you to die to your flesh that his spirit might have preeminence in you the first place in you amen Sometimes we have to pray that. God, help me. Help me. Help me, Lord, to die to my flesh. Help me to, to, to die to uh, fleshly desires. Help me to, 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 to get rid of those things, Lord, that, that are not from you at all. Help me to die to those that you might have the first place in my life. Ask God today to make you more hungry for him than you've ever been before. Come on, church, that's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. Oh, I've been hungry for God since 1971 when I gave my life to Jesus. Well, I got news for you. I want to be more hungry today than I was back then. I want to be more hungry tomorrow than I was today. That it would be an ongoing, continual hunger and thirst in my life for more of him. Amen. To draw closer to him. Ask him to open up doors of opportunity for you to witness to someone each and every day. Just ask, I dare you. I dare you.
to ask him that each morning before you step out of your house. God, give to me just at least one opportunity today to share your love with someone that I meet along the way. Ooh, watch and see what God will do. Amen. Watch and see how he will use you to bring others to a saving knowledge of himself. Are we willing to pray those kinds of prayers? Are we willing to say, Lord, help me to die to my flesh. Help me to die to myself. Help, help me, Lord God, to yield more to you. Lord, give to me opportunities to share my faith, and I'll open my mouth, and I'll speak for your glory. I'll tell people how much you love me and how much they, uh, they are loved by you as well. Give me the opportunity, Lord, and I'll do it. Church, let's pray for a Holy Ghost fire.